All right, let's play. Here we go. What are you doing? Mary, are you turning up the volume in the way of grace or the way of force? That would be the question when you turn up that. That a girl. You're exactly right. Okay, one, two, three. Let's pray. Just stand where you are. Let's go. Lord God, Heavenly Father, grant to us, we pray, your Holy Spirit, that we hear and accept your word in order that being cleansed in mind and renewed in life, we live for you now and always through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, good to see you. Um, lots going on this morning. Good to see you. I think you may have noticed that the Bishop of uh, Siberia is here. Is he here in the room somewhere? We love him. The Bishop wears purple. That's how you mark him. We didn't make him work today, but he's roundabout. So if you see uh, Bishop Litkin, you know, say hi to him. We're always grateful when he pops by. And um, Hopkins kind of hosted him this, this time around. And Pastor Nelson is always helpful in making everything work in Pastor Buke, so that was, um, I don't know, it's just really good. It's great, great being here. That was a genius of a sermon, you know. Uh, you got a good young guy in Bukes. He, he knows a lot of stuff, and he can already speak clearly, which is quite a benefit. I know he struggled over it, so um, what the great thing is when a guy struggles over it, and then he doesn't show any sign of the struggle when he delivers it, that's a really, really good thing. So that was just a very promising very promising morning in so many ways. Um, what else? If you put some money in that basket, we're going to give that to um, St. Matthew's, Matthews. Matthews Soup Kitchen. So uh, the Donna Loza's, uh, Tony's dad started that, you know, downtown. It's good. So, you know, you can never go wrong feeding hungry people. So if you throw some money in there, that'll go. The, uh, the pen and the list are coming around. That's good. Anything else? Just catches, catching up on anything else? I think about you a lot, about you know, what, what needs to be said and where we are, and I'm always trying to figure out where the life of the church is and our church, and you know, we're this street corner in the middle of the big church in the middle of the big world, and you know, what is it that we need to say, and how is it, you know, how, that we, you know, how, can, we, how can we do good? You know? um, all, the, all the Lutheran talk about you know, being saved by grace through faith always comes with, you know, go read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, always comes with, and you're created for good works. And so there is this question. You know, what sort of good works do we do? And, you know, one of the great things about being with you, and, you know, Mike, I've tried to say this over the course of the first couple of weeks, is, um, you know, you've been blessed beyond what you can even imagine, as have I. I mean, what we have been given here is a really great gift. And so, you know, we have to do two things now at once. We have to nurture the gifts that we've been given. And so, you know, part of the genius of the sermon this morning was that was really a story about how to nurture your church in some ways. Because it's all about if you live in grace, you get one thing. And if you live, you know, under force, you get quite another thing. And most churches live under force. I, I kept thinking during that sermon how difficult it is to um, be on the Jesus side of that and not on the Pharisee side, you know, to live in grace. Because when you live in grace, you can only then live in hope. You, 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 you touch with grace and you can only live in hope. Force tries to finish. Force tries to direct the outcome. And, you know, you can direct the outcome right down to the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club, right? Till there's nobody left. And so often the church, because it has worked by force and not by grace, has directed itself, you know, into nothingness. Now, here's the other side. The other side of the equation is you can see when you're kind to each other, when you go to the Eucharist together, when you remember your baptism, when you welcome people, when you're kind, it's interesting. People are drawn to that. People are drawn to that because that's what's missing in normal life. I thought to myself, uh, you know, these my latter years as I get older, 
How much of all of life is really like high school? You can reflect on this. Maybe it's just Wheaton. Wheaton seems like a big high school to me often. Um, it seems like people didn't, often didn't mature past about you know, 11th grade in any way, shape, or form. You know, they got another zero on their paycheck or two, you know, but in, in the way that relationships are dealt with and people are dealt with, so much of it is done in the way of force and the way, it's an oddness. Here's the thing though, deep in our hearts we have a yearning for something more. You know, deep in our hearts uh, we, we are unsatisfied and largely people act by force because they're so frightened to let go. You know, to, if, you, if, you, if you work by force, you can at least get some outcome. It may not be the outcome you want, it may not be the Jesus outcome, but at least it's some outcome. And so you meet people who live in all stages of really kind of hard-edged, sharp-elbowed life, but at least that's what it is. You know, to live in grace, you have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea what the Lord will do with you. You have no idea you know, what other people will do. You, at, at a moment, people can, can flip it off. In a moment, they can go bad. The other side of the equation, though, is in a moment, they can go good. They can go brilliantly good. And so, you know, what Jesus is always doing is pulling people toward grace, which means he's always pulling toward people, always pulling people toward what grace bestows, the brilliant things, life and light and community, right, and forgiveness and generosity and, you know, remarkable kinds of things. So the good news is we, we, you know, we have a chance to live not only as that community, but then, you know, be attractive to others. Baseline, somewhere, you know, Jesus says to us, in your going, make disciples. Jesus never said that this is just for you and me. Now he has ways that things are ordered and how it goes to other people. And it's everything from giving people the Eucharist to giving people food at the soup kitchen. Jesus has a way that he wants the world to look. Um, You know what? I would just suggest to you that when you have the chance to push back the darkness, enjoy it. Just when, when the darkness is being pushed back, enjoy it. Because it'll snap back. You know, there are clouds on the horizon, and darkness will also have its day. So it's very important when you have days like this, when you have years like this, when you have your, you know, we're in our, we're in our, we're in our fat cow years now, right? I mean, there are, there, are, there are skinny cow years, and those are very, very difficult. You're in your fat cow years right now. Remember the story. They could see that a, they could see their famine was coming, so that they, you know, they not only enjoyed what they had, they set aside resources for the day the darkness would have, you know, more sway. Okay, so here's the thing. You know, in our time together, we've had light and we've had darkness. We're in this wonderful place, but it's not just for you. you if you squeeze it as if it's just for you, you'll kill it. You know, in the gospel, in the gospel is always the notion that Jesus wants all his children home again. He wants all his children home again. And what he does with the church, what he does with you, is to let you play along. So, you know, Jesus ascends to heaven, but he doesn't leave. He, the kingdom of God is within you. The Holy Spirit is within you. Jesus puts himself within you. He also puts himself on the altar and in the font. But he puts himself in you. And he puts himself in others. So Matthew 26. When did we see you, Lord? When, when were you naked? When were you hungry? When were you in prison? You did it to the least of these. You did it unto me. So Jesus Christ is also, in some sense, in other people. Yes, it has to be properly distinguished. You know, all the natural categories of law and gospel, of sin and grace, right? Yes, 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 of course. Having said all of that, Christ is in you and Christ is in others. 
you know. It's why the Christians buried the dead. It's why the Christians were always merciful. It's why the Christians started schools. Now, in these latter days, and I guess it's not just the latter days, it is throughout, Christians have been horrible, you know. I, um, you know, you don't have to go, you don't have to go two clicks on the internet to find some place where a Christian is being horrible. There's not a lot that we can do about that except to say that's not us and that's not Christ and that's not who we are, but then also then to do good. Over the course of time, Christians have done horrible things. They've also been stupid at times. They've also been insular. They've also been unloving. Over the course of time, Christians have also been brilliant. They have also been generous. They have also been loving. And they have often done things that no one else would do, especially in care for the little, the least, the lost, the last, and the dead. It was Christians who did those things. In any organization, in any institution, what you do is you um, try to minimize your deficiencies and maximize your advantages. The advantage that the church has is to live in the image of Jesus Christ. And he does that, here it is, through you. Now, it's very difficult at times um, to know exactly what to do, to see how things will play out, to, want to know if you've made the right step or done the right thing. The whole point of this year, or however long we go into, however deeply we go into this year is, to try to give you the confidence to relax. Okay? So this very modest title about you know, this clever, loving, whatever, whatever way to change the world, I mean that deeply. Because people's world changes, people's worlds change when they live under the authority of the gospel and not the force of the law. When they live in love, if you want to just speak very, very simply, when they live in love and not in hate. When they are gentle and indulge and forgive and bless and feed and care for, as opposed to whatever the opposites of all those things would be. And here's the, I'll just give you the payoff at the end. Um, Basically, for us, we do that out of grace and we don't worry about the consequences. The consequences do not belong to you. The end of the story is not yours. Okay? It's not yours. You have particular things you're meant to do for your own self. It's Christ in Scripture. It's prayer in the Eucharist. It's being very generous, tithing and giving alms. It's being thoroughly merciful to other people. And it is also then giving a good witness. That's what belongs to you, and the Lord promises to bless that if you do it, and surprise, you know, he has. And so we have advantages and blessings that many, many other churches don't have. So I just say this, not kind of we're good and they're bad. I'm just saying we just have this, and, and we should be very, very grateful for what's been given. But it largely is a function of Jesus asking you to do something and you're doing it. Jesus is saying, see the world this way and you've seen it. Jesus is saying, do this and you do it. Remarkable stuff. You actually listen to Jesus and do what he asks and the world becomes a brighter place. All right, so the point is, how do you share that with other people? I know it's troublesome. Um, I wish for each of you to, you know, wear a collar for a week in downtown Chicago, you know? It's a very interesting experience, right? Some people, you know, grab your hand and kiss you. Other people's, you know, talk way with you, you know, it's like, you know, I've had people, I've walked in an elevator hospital, I've pe- had people turn around and turn their back to me, I've had people swear at me, I've also had people embrace me as if for no other reason, they had no idea who I was, right, 
but you know, so it cuts in all directions. It'll cut the same way for you. All right, so what's the point of all that? The point of all that is how can you get comfortable with you know, offering a bit of grace to other people? One of the really easy ways to do it is just to tell stories that you already know. The problem is, is that we often learn to tell the stories in a way that aren't very helpful. Um, we get stiff very, very quickly, and um, uh, you know, we start to sound like you know, some radio program, okay? So that's, that's actually not very helpful. So, so here's the thing. Turn to Zacchaeus, okay? So let's just, let's just take some stories. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know this story, okay? So Zacchaeus, it's Luke, is it not? Isn't it Luke? Yeah, it's the end of Luke. Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. Somebody got it. I, I live by, is it Luke 19? What is it? 19, 1 to 10, is that what it is? All right, let's see if we can find it. It's one thing, you know, this is what, you know, as it's, this is, you know, you always say this to pastors, it's one thing to, um, or newscasters, it's the same thing. It's one thing to write, it's another thing to speak. It's an art, there's an art to writing for speaking. Well, in one sense, um, the scripture is writing for writing. It's not writing for speaking. Now it is writing for proclamation. Um, but, you know, you, when you write something that's elegant, it's not necessarily unless in very rare circumstances, um, you know, it doesn't translate well. I always think that people kind of always gush over the Pope's sermons, any Pope's sermons. Sometimes I read that, I'm like, you know, it's a great theological treatise, but I don't really quite understand. Well, part of it is he gets the benefit of the doubt for being the Pope, right? Uh, he does. I mean, you're just sort of like, that the Pope said it, people are going to read it. But, but real honestly, if you just sort of, um, you sort of have to listen for speaking. I mean, preaching is conversation. You telling a story is talking. It's not writing. So somehow, we have to take this story, these stories, any story, and translate it. So let me slow down just a moment. So here's the gambit for the year. The gambit is, how can you comfortably tell a Jesus story to other people and then just let it go? How can you tell it not in a shaky finger sort of way, not in a you're going to hell if you don't listen to this story, or I told you so kind of way? All the bad ways that the stories were told to you as you were growing up, Think of all the churches you ever hated. Ready, go. It's not enough time, is it? Okay, keep going. Okay, right? I mean, think of all the bad experiences you've had with Christians. Okay, not to be that guy, that church. But this is the Viva Vox. This is the living voice of Jesus. So how do you talk about this story in a way that people hear it? Okay, this is a great story. Now, what you want to think about, of course, is someday you're going to tell this story to somebody. But you can't tell this story just to anybody because some people need a different kind of story. So as you listen to this, always wonder, you know, what kind of person would like to hear this story? And I, and I actually mean that. Who would sort of like to hear this story? I told you, you know, the little Zen story, which I often tell to people who are impatient about their spiritual growth. You know, people get impatient. You know, for pe- impatient people, that's a good, it's just like, you know, calm down. It's the same with having kids. I mean, it's very hard to just sort of calm down and be patient with them. It's very difficult because why? Because if they would just do it your way, the outcome would be sure, right? Well, I don't know, you know. So just think about who might be helped by this particular story. So Jesus entered Jerusalem, was passing through. So just a little setup for the story. Jesus was up north. He's coming south. He's kind of taking this meandering way. And he's seen person after person who needed his help, okay? So he's passing through because he's going to the temple in Jerusalem. He's going to his destiny. Luke says he set his face toward Jerusalem for his, and the technical word is, it actually says in his exodus. 
So Jesus is having an exodus just the way Moses had an exodus. He's, he's going to have a Passover to the promised land. So he's going home. Uh, he's going home. But, you know, on the way, there's interesting stories. Now, you don't have to tell that to anybody, but it's just an interesting, you know, you have to have that in your head because it tells you why Jesus acts the way he acts, which is basically he loves everybody. Everybody's in and nobody's out. You're only out if you want to be out. You're only, you're, only, you're only a sinner if you hold on to your sins. You're only, you know, if, if you, you know, Jesus is only going to be your enemy. If you make him be your enemy, he doesn't want to be your enemy. How much he doesn't want to be your enemy is right here. So, Jesus entered Jericho. It's a very cosmopolitan border city, a lot going on, tough place. He was passing through, so he's going somewhere else. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich. He sought to see who Jesus was. Interesting phrasing. He wants to see who Jesus, not see Jesus, he wants to see who Jesus was. But he could not on account of the crowd because he was of small stature. And there may be more to that story. So he ran out, ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said, Hey Zacchaeus, make haste to come down. Hurry up, get down here. I'm going to stay at your house today. I must stay, like I'm compelled to stay at your house. Right? So it's not, this isn't just a throwaway. This is like, this is what I've got to do in order to get to Jerusalem. I've got to stay at your house. Okay? So he made haste, and he came down, and he received him. This is very interesting. Joyfully. So I'm still already, there's a key there about when you're telling a story, you tell the story in a way that it can be received joyfully. So you kind of think back to our discussion last week. That is a tender topic. People listen, more people listen online and maybe than I know. And I got some correspondence from people who were gay and also from people who were, have gay children. And um, all I can say to you is, it doesn't matter what you say, you can't say it tenderly enough. Okay? And part of it is, is that people, you'll know you have it right when they receive you joyfully. It doesn't mean you are wrong if they don't but you know you have it right when they receive it joyfully. Very interesting choice of words. So um, when they saw it, they murmured. He's gone to be, he's gone in, inside, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor, people that he's not offended, interestingly, the poor don't pay taxes, and... If I've defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it four times, fourfold. Jesus says to him, this is proof that Jesus wasn't a Lutheran, because then Jesus says, today, once you've given half to the poor and four times whatever you've done wrong, make of it what you will. I've gone my whole life without anybody talking about restitution for sins, but there it is. It makes Jesus really happy. In fact, he declares it to be a mark of the people who are saved. So... When you do a sin and you go to confession, you don't just slink away from it like it never happened. Insofar as you're able, you make things right. That's what Christians do. Insofar as they're able, you make it right. If you stole money, you give it back. Sometimes you give it back times four. And then sometimes you give you know, half away to people who you've never even met before because, you know what? You brought the darkness, now push it back. Okay? Some things you can't make up. You kill somebody... You make a bad post on Facebook, pretty hard to pull that back. You know, you tell a lie, 
has wings of its own, right? Something's very hard to pull back. But if you can pull it back, you pull it back because it makes Jesus happy. And that's what Christians do, okay? So <clears throat> Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, Behold, half my goods I give to the poor. If I defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. That's a nice thing you can say to somebody. It's what you'd say in your <clears throat> bar mitzvah. On the eighth day, child, I'm bar mitzvah, on the day of your circumcision. On the eighth day, you become a son of the covenant, a son of Abraham, right? Not so unlike being baptized on the eighth day. And you become a son of God. And we say that in the liturgy. This child has now become your child. We're going to say it. We had a baptism last night. We'll have another one now. In the prayer afterwards, we're going to say, since this child has now become your child, a son of Abraham, a son of the covenant, a son of the church, a son of the father, you'll need to take care of him. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Remarkable stuff. Okay. So just let that percolate a second, and I want to um, go back and look at a couple of things about how you might um, just sort of think about that. I don't know if I'll break the rhythm by letting you think about it or not, but let's just go see. Um, I want to think about where I was, since you've noticed sometimes in the past I don't exactly follow what I've written. However, it actually eventually all comes out, <clears throat> right? All right. So I'm just sort of looking at what I had last week. Okay, so I'm basically done with the first one, okay? So now, knowing that, pick up the one you've got today, okay? The question is, how are you going to tell that story? You need to know two things. One is you need to know the story, and you need to know the story correctly, right? Very often, we bend the stories to make them look like us. It's not my story. It's not my story. I mean, the pastor's great. If the pastor delivers himself, he hasn't, I mean, he sinned, basically, if, if I bend the story to suit you know, me, I've sinned against you. It's a form of um, spiritual abuse, to be quite honest with you. And you do the same thing when you talk to people. When you, and so I know so many parents who have bent the story to fit whatever discipline they think needs to be imposed. You know? I mean, T whiz, talk about why the church goes wrong. Let me count the ways. However, you know, that said, that's not the question. The question is, how can the church go right? Or how can you slip this story in so that people hear it and rejoice in it. Now, great benefit of being Lutheran. Here it goes. Okay? And here's a t- little telltale sign, although John Kleinig upside downs me a little bit on this, but I think I can save him too. Um, you'll notice if you go into a Reformed church or you've been in churches where um, pastors have this big prayer before they preach that goes something like this. Come on, baby Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit into these words so that all these words will hit those hearts and everything's going to work out, right? It'll be some variation of that, I promise you. <laughs> Which, in these latter days, um, is, a, is a kind of straight Karl Barth um, from 100 years ago or so, but also is, has the notion, the foreign notion, um, to us that the Spirit is not in the Word until we put it in the Word. So if I don't pray the Spirit into the words, the Spirit's not there. Au contraire. The great part of being Lutheran is, is that Jesus is working whether I'm working or not. And one of the great things that we mean by when we say that 
the scripture is the word of God. We mean it's alive all by itself. That's a living, breathing thing. It's why we talk about it as the viva vox of Christ. That the Holy Spirit is there already, which is, you know, the great forgiveness for pastors and liturgies that are done poorly or people who preach poorly or teach a bad Bible study. Not that you can be slovenly. That's a different kind of sin. But the reality is, is that God is at work in my life and your life in many, many ways that you have no idea. You have no idea how he's at work. And Lutherans are huge on this, that the word, the scripture just read. So if I read you a text without any addendums, without any gloss, okay? If I read you that text, there's the great confidence that the Holy Spirit is going from my tongue to your ear and stinging it, right? He brings energy, he brings life, he brings light, he brings gifts. That's what we mean when we talk about the scriptures being the word of God, all the stuff about inerrant and all that kind of other stuff that people beat each other up with, it has a place, but that's not the first thing that Lutherans would say. We meet Christ in the scriptures. We meet Christ in the scriptures because the Holy Spirit is alive and fired on all cylinders. That is a great comfort for you because that means all there is for you to do is to tell the story in love with kindness, appropriately, at the right time, to the right person, right? But the Holy Spirit is going, going strong, okay? So, number one, let's start with this notion that I gave you last week. It's very optimistic. You can, if you want to look around in the large catechism, you can check Luther on the explanation of the ninth and 10th um, commandment. It's very, very nice where he talks about how the word lures people how it attracts people. I mean, you think about yourself that way. That what the Lord is trying to do is lure and attract people to the little baby Jesus through you. So now you notice, for example, things like over the years, there are times during the year when we don't celebrate the Eucharist, even though we're extraordinarily Eucharistic-centric. So this year on Thanksgiving, for example, it won't be a Eucharist. There'll be a Eucharist, I don't know, in the morning or not. Are we open? I can't remember. At least at the night time. Oh, no, there will be, because it'll be a Wednesday morning. We go on the eve. There'll be a Eucharist in the morning if you need the Eucharist on a daily basis. But on Wednesday evening, there won't be a Eucharist. There are other times. Christmas, you know, we have a service that's not a Eucharist. Why do we do that? We do that so that you can bring your friends. We do that so that there's not the offense of saying to people, you can't have the Eucharist. We do that because people who may be upended by the, by the liturgy are not up, un, upended by Christmas hymns. And if you let the word simply be read at that time, you have this very gentle environment where people can hear about the word made flesh. But we do that intentionally. There are times throughout the years, the big day is Good Friday, when we don't have, we read the text, but we don't, have the Eucharist. Why is that? Because there are times when people can simply hear what's going on, right? All right, so if people don't follow Jesus, let's just say it's because they haven't yet heard about Jesus in love. They haven't heard about Jesus in a way that they understand that Jesus loves them and they can love him right back, love you right back, you know? That's what you're going for. So I give you, you know, you're um, all goriented people, and, you know, if your fiscal year just closed, it's time for you to get your goals together and get them into your supervisor, and here you go. So I'm going to give you a little something at point number two, which is a very easy way to tell stories. It works like this. First is just be a neighbor, or I'd say to you, be kind or be welcoming. The second is um, just tell the story. 
and occasionally you might ask a question. Now here's the thing. Immediately you're thinking to yourself, I gotta close the sale, I gotta close the sale, how can I close the sale? I'm on commission at St. John, I gotta close the sale. One of the things we always tell people as they wander in the door here, we almost tell them, don't join. Because people are so used to going into churches where people put on the hard sell. Why is that? Because they're so nervous that people are going to straight to hell. Why is that? Because they think people have to decide for Christ. Why is that? Because they think they have to explain it really well. Why is that? Because they think about faith as thinking rather than trusting, right? Because why is that? Because we're screwed up from 300 years of the Enlightenment. I rest my case. Okay? So, what's different with you? Stop talking. Stop talking and start doing. Just be kind to people, for goodness, goodness sakes. Jesus has stumbled around being nice to people for no good reason. And a lot of times he heals them or raises them from the dead or he makes them be able to see and he's wandering out of town before the story even starts to get told. All I'm really begging you is to be a little more like Jesus. What's the first thing that Jesus does? Well, I don't know. Jesus wanders into, he wanders into Jericho and he's just passing through. Right? He's just passing through. And then he bumps into this guy. Now, Jesus has an appointment. He's, you know, he's got to get there. Good Friday is coming and tick-tock, right? So he's got some place to go. But he bumps into this guy and he just basically says, so I don't know, I'll tell you one. He said, this is a story for people who have been shamed. It's a shame and honor culture. Guess what? Wheaton is still high school. This is a shame and honor culture, right? You never prom date, you're dead, you know? You don't, it doesn't, nobody likes you. It's a, ah, yeah, right, okay? This is a shame and honor So here's a man who's been shamed. Yes, it's a self-inflicted wound. He's a crook. Yes, he did it to himself. He's a Jew who's a tax man. Everybody knows if you're a Jew and a tax man, you're a traitor. They'll kill you if you can, which is another reason you won't go into the crowd. Now, just that he's short is because people will kill him. Like It's like being in a prison yard, right? You walk in the middle of the wrong people, that's the end of you, okay? So here's this man who knows everybody hates him, and he also is shamed. He's basically shamed. What does Jesus do? Jesus honors him by going to his house for dinner. Which in that world, who you ate with was everything. So here's a guy who's shamed and broken. Even though he's rich, he's shamed and broken. And Jesus just says, hey, I'm coming over for dinner. Right? Now, you might think that's a little bit odd, but it'd be a little bit, pick somebody you like, you know, a president, a senator, a congressman, an astronaut, Michael Jordan, pick somebody who would just say, hey, man, I'm, I'm coming to your house, okay? I'm Kovacs, I'm going to Kovacs for dinner, okay? I'll see you there. You're, you're not like protesting, saying, hey, don't come, or what, you're like, no, you're like, okay, it's going to be great. It's that kind of a feeling. Imagine that. Somebody honors you by saying, out of all the people in the world, I'm coming to your house. Okay? So in some sense, um, Jesus in that case is just being a neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Hey, let me tell you a story about that. There was a man going down from Jerusalem, and people mugged him, and people walked by, and then some people didn't walk by. That's who your neighbor is. That's what Jesus is doing. So I'd say to you, I I mean, I could just shorten this. The nomenclature comes from Carol Morton's nephew, who's kind of a hot commodity right now in the Missouri Senate in this book that I've sorted you know, I just used it because the, the vernacular is out there. But I would just say to you in a, in a really simple way, be a neighbor's nice biblical language. Just be nice to people. Be kind. Which then, of course, goes back to last week, which is if you have a, if you have a list of people, if you have a, any list of people with whom you won't associate, you should lose that list 
Okay? Whatever it's based on. If it's based on color of skin, if it's based on because they did you in one day, if it's because of sexual orientation, if it's because of politics, hey, lose that list. That's what it means to be a neighbor. It means you're going to love people the way Jesus loves them, which is he loves them unconditionally. In fact, it's better than that. I mean, he just comes with this notion of unconditional. And then he sizes people up on the fly. And there's Zacchaeus. He's a son of a gun. He stole from everybody in town, and they hate him. That's the reason he's up a tree. He's up a tree for self-protection, also because he's short. But he doesn't fit in very well, okay? And Jesus can size that up. I mean, now, you might be bright enough to size that up, too. If you walk outside and there's somebody up in the tree, you might say to yourself, you know, which is exactly what Jesus does. But this always just comes with um, sort of being, being kind um, to other people. I'll give you, I gave you a website here. You can go see how the Crystal Cathedral is becoming a Roman Catholic cathedral. It was very interesting because I sent this to a few people this week, but the, you can go look at this little video. What's really interesting is, I mean, they have some very high-priced, high-powered people working on this, and they basically said the same thing that we said which is, well, we want a place that's beautiful and welcoming. Um, we want a place uh, that will be uh, mission-oriented, draw people in. Nothing changes. It's always the same. It's kindness. It's beauty. It's welcome. It's joy. Okay? All right, I'm flipping the page. Um, here we go. So... Two things. Um, You're going to need to get your hands dirty just a little bit. And maybe I've dirtied them enough just by saying you can't have any enemies. Because you really can't have any enemies because Jesus doesn't have any enemies. So if you're going to say what Jesus says and do what Jesus does and think as Jesus thinks, see as Jesus sees, when you look at people, it's hard. Uh, You know, it's hard not to have enemies because uh, people hurt you, right? They, and some people want to be your enemy. That's how they define their lives, ins and outs. Jesus defines his life very, very differently. So part of it is just being present to people. Now, you heard that in the Great Commission. It starts with in your going. So you know what? As you go, as you move through life, as you're on your way to Jericho or on your way to Jerusalem and you happen to bump through Jericho. Um, and I just say, you know, just being there for other people is vastly underrated. I don't know why I had... A couple of experiences with sitting Shiva this week, which is, I'm, I'm not an expert on Jewish practice, but, you know, um, if you have Jewish friends at the death point, um, there are these, these days of visitation where the family mourns, and you come, and proper protocol is, is you sit with the family, but you don't speak. In fact, you don't speak until you're spoken to by the family. It's very interesting. You know, I I can only speculate at the theology behind that, but it's brilliant, which is sometimes it's too painful for people to speak. One of the real hard things at a funeral is for people to have to make conversation, almost be host. It's very hard because they're broken. And I know you're coming to see them and love them, but they often, in their most broken things, they often have to be host to you. So this is a little genius thing, this just thing of people can come and sit down by you, and it's enough. They don't have to be host. But your presence is a consolation. Because way back when, the map of the world, everybody's problem is they're alone and unloved. Right? So at the most difficult point, when you just come and sit, you don't have to talk. Talk is is somewhat overrated. Presence is extraordinarily important. This is when people say, I've got to go to the hospital, I don't know what to say. I'm like, go to the hospital, don't say anything. Touch, you should touch. 
because nobody will touch people in the hospital because they're afraid they're going to get something or they're afraid they're going to hurt them or they're afraid of touching in general, right? But so what does it take to be kind? You need to be present to people. You you need to be physically there insofar as you can take it. Some people are genius at it. Some people want to be with people all the time. Some people have to work at it. You can learn to do this just like you can learn the next one, which is to be able to listen. We, We live in this society where everything is a burst. Nothing lasts more than about six seconds. You know, you have four 15-second commercials today during the Packers-Bear game rather than one 60-second commercial. And the first one and the third one will be the same. You know why? Because you couldn't pay attention for the first time 15 seconds long, right? So you're going to see the exact same thing again about the time when you say, didn't I just see this? That's exactly where you forgot that you saw it last time. Then you pay attention to the rest of it. That's why listening is so hard. That's why people interrupt each other so much. Because we don't have the ability anymore to hear other people's stories. Zacchaeus is going to tell Jesus who he is and what he needs. Zacchaeus is going to tell him. He basically stands up and proposes a toast where he says, I've been a schlub and I've robbed everybody in town. There was some conversation going on at table before that happened. Maybe it was verbal, maybe it wasn't, but Jesus knew what was going on, okay? So the first thing is is just to be... um, Present, and you should imagine in your head. This is without characterizing people, but I've just sort of given you. You know, wounded people need protection, right? The wounded people need healing. Lost people need a guide, right? The silent people need an ear, and lonely people need some company. Now, people don't present this way. There's a couple of ways that people present, and we did this on the big map of the world. We did this a couple of years ago, right? Where I said, how do your friends... I sort of set the question as when your friends complain, how do they complain? And you said, you know, they complain in this way or that way. They feel empty. They feel listless. They feel like there's no meaning in their life. Their heart hurts all the time. They're prideful. There's all kinds of ways that people present. Um, Another way that people present is everything is perfect. Shiny veneer. I don't have any problems. It's too bad you have problems. The worst is when Christians do that. Kirby, I have very few code words, but one of the code words for that is, if, if I say to Kirby, he's a neat Christian, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. He's neat, and he's a Christian. When you put that together, neat Christian, that's like the death knell. Because what it is, is you present as this shiny, polished Christian, and underneath it's like, as Jesus said, whitewashed tombs, there's nothing there. Okay? So... The first thing is, is just being present to other people. People need you, right? Don't, you don't have to impose yourself on people. You don't have to knock on their door. You don't have to say, you know, if you died tonight, where you'd be going straight to hell. That presumes so much about people. It presumes they think there's a hell. It presumes they think they might go. I just saw a thing with Ed Koch. You know, it was a very interesting documentary about, um, I don't know, I just I was clicking through, and he's interesting because we lived on the East Coast when he was there, and he was quite a figure. And he said, you know, I, he, they showed him going to the graveyard where he was going to be buried, and he sort of rocked everybody by, I think it must have been, it was called Trinity Graveyard, I think. So it was a, he's a Jew, and he, he's um, likely a gay Jew. I mean, this, they went back and forth about this and why he didn't come out and how that works. And so he said, he, you know, he, he, he's going to be buried. In the, and he said, why is this? Because all the Jewish cemeteries are full and locked. And he said, I want people to go by where I am. I want there to be activity. And his, his, his tombstone was already there, and he'd written his own epitaph. It's just an amazing way to think about your life. Uh, not in a bad way, just a revealing way. 
And he said, you know, I believe in an afterlife. And he said, I believe people get rewarded for good and evil, and I expect to be rewarded. It's like, I'm the mayor of New York, man. I expect to... It's a very interesting way. People will tell you if you'll just sit long enough to listen. They'll tell you what they, what they need. Um, the next one I give you is patience. And I just want to sort of... If there's anything that happened over, you know, the battle for the Bible and truth that demands a verdict and can't you decide tonight if you love the babe of Jesus and here's four laws and you should decide for Jesus right now and big crusades and all of that. One of the problems with that is is that um, what happens to people when Jesus meets them often takes time. You know, there's that interesting story in the scriptures where it's the only time this happens and it looks like Jesus does it to make a point. You know, because Jesus is healing everybody all the time. One of the really interesting things about when Jesus heals is it's instant, instantaneous and it's public and it's complete. There's one where Jesus bumps into this guy who's blind. Jesus works on him and he says, Jesus goes, hey man, how's that? The dude's like, oh, I'm looking around. He said, men look like trees. You remember that story? Remember that story? It's like it doesn't take all the way. And Jesus, kind of with a big sigh, gives it to him again, and then it works. Why is that a story? It seems to be a story about patience. Seems to be a story about sometimes these things take time. It's clear that Jesus can heal anybody anytime he wants from anything. Boom, 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 boom. And one of the great things about Jesus is he speaks and it happens. Jesus speaks realities. Speaks and it happens, speaks and it happens. He says, you know, demon come out, the demon comes out. Sin forgiven, sins are forgiven. Rise and walk, rise and walk. Be healed, no more leprosy. You can see, you can see. Lazarus come out, he's raised from the dead, and this is my body, this is my blood, and it is, okay? So Jesus speaks realities. He speaks realities all the time, speaks realities. And then this one time he doesn't. (coughs) Speaks half a reality. Why is that? Patience. Because you need to say it takes patience. You can't be a neighbor all at once. Um, this whole notion that you have to close the sale, I want to take that away from you. It doesn't belong to you. It's not your work. It's the Holy Spirit's work. Read the catechism. Even as we are called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, I believe that I cannot believe. Most interesting thing, completely irrational. I believe I can't believe, but the Holy Ghost just called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified, kept me in the true faith, even as he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. How do you get to be a Christian? Because the Holy Spirit is active. How is he active? He's active when you tell a story. But he's not nervous. He's just going to hang around and occasionally have a Pentecost, and then he's occasionally going to have a Eucharist, and then occasionally somebody will talk about him, and he's just going to make his way through the world, kind of going this way and that. John 3, the Spirit blows where it wills, and we know not how. The reason I'm telling you that is to try to take the pressure off of you. There are all these reasons you shouldn't tell a story. We have all these reasons we're not going to tell it. People will think ill of me. People think I'm stupid. People think I don't know what I'm talking about. People think I'm a cranky fundamentalist. The church has really been bad. The church has a lot to answer for. I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if I can close. You can make a hundred reasons. You spend your whole life telling yourselves why you can't do things. It's a yes world. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. It's a yes world. It's not a no world. It's a light world. It's not a dark world. And you're part of it. So we need to think about how that works. Okay, we'll finish this up. Think for next week, although I already cribbed you with my notes because I always think I'm going to get there and I don't. 
I've already cribbed you, and you can read these now in advance. Two other ways to tell the story. One by Phillips, if you were growing up a little older than me, the Phillips Bible was all the rage when it came out. And then Eugene Peterson, the message, getting to be an older guy now, probably 70-ish or so, maybe 75. Read those two stories. We read it in one way, kind of the crisp translation writing thing. Those are talking stories. Just read that. Even things like, Jesus went to the house of a real sinner, which makes you think to yourself about big sinners and small sinners. But that, of course, is how people think, because you're a big sinner, and I'm a small sinner, right? Went to that guy's house. People get grumpy. Anyway, a lot to do. All right, let's pray. Let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, cheers. See you next week.